0: Outliers in Education is brought to you by CEE, the Center for Educational Effectiveness. Better data, better decisions, better schools. To find out more, visit effectiveness.org.
1: When something is important to us, we all like to be heard. That's especially true for students. Today, we'll explore the value of student voice. I'm Eric Price, and this is Outliers in Education. That's what we're all about, letting our kids be successful. If you want to achieve something, then surround yourself with the people you want to become. Because kids are kids in small districts, rural districts, urban. Kids are kids. Hey, folks. Welcome back to episode number two of Outliers in Education. We're picking them up and laying them down. I'm Eric Price here with my co-host, Eric Bowles. Bowles, how are you doing today? In a word, stellar, EP. You can't get better than that. Well, we've got an amazing guest with us here today to help us explore student voice. But before we get there, I want to back up and just tell you a little bit about Outliers in Education. The Center for Educational Effectiveness is here to help districts and schools improve student learning through access and just having better data, and that helps schools make better decisions. The CEE led a multi-year study in Washington State schools called the Outlier Study, and that study identified 38 schools that were excelling far beyond schools with similar demographics. Bowles, can you fill us in a little bit about that study?
2: Yeah, thanks for that intro. I would love to be able to talk about the study a little bit. First of all, 38 schools is an incredibly small number. We have 2,200 schools approximately in Washington State. So when we're talking outliers uh, to get to 38, obviously that's pretty self-explanatory. What's even more impressive about that when you look at the numbers, the way we built the metric at the Center for Educational Effectiveness is we looked at seven different factors we looked at schools initially who were making gains far beyond what their demographics would typically dictate. Uh, and we're talking about black African American students, Latino students, uh, students of poverty, uh, and native American or Alaskan students. So they had to be well above what we would have expected from schools like those schools in the state. They had to be well above in each of the seven categories. So you couldn't hide out with high achievement, but poor attendance. You had to be in each, uh, and not some kind of average. And you had to make progress from that baseline year, which was 2014, for five consecutive years. So when we talk about outlier schools, uh, the numbers and the way we set those numbers up really back it up. Then our goal was to get out and really start talking to people in schools. We wanted to interview superintendents in small districts, principals and their administrative teams. Uh, we, most importantly, perhaps, uh, teacher teams, student teams, Parent teams to really get a sense for what made these communities unique, and that's what we're here to talk about today. Well, one of the main goals here at Outliers
1: in Education is to share with you some of those things that this study has uncovered. To introduce you to the school leaders, the teachers, the students, and the families who have been a part of producing these amazing results. And we've got one of those Outliers in Education with us here today, and we couldn't be more pleased than to welcome Ron Hartley of Franklin Pierce High School in Tacoma, Washington. Ron has been the principal at Franklin Pierce for six years. He's been recognized for his work surrounding equity, diversity, and inclusion, and a school-wide commitment at Franklin Pierce to dismantle racism and other systems of oppression and inequality. A big part of that journey has been the result of Ron and his leadership team's approach to student voice. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Ron, first off, congratulations about being one of those 38 outliers, and thanks for spending some time with us here today. Thank
0: you both. Appreciate it.
1: Well, let's just dive right in. Can you tell us just a little bit of background about Franklin Pierce?
0: Franklin Pierce High School um, is a comprehensive high school, grades 9 through 12, about 1,200 students. Uh, We sit in Tacoma, but really we're unincorporated Pierce County. Uh, and we're a separate school district uh, from Tacoma Public Schools. We're Franklin Pierce School District. Uh, We have about 60% students of color, and we're also at about 60% uh, low-income.
1: Right on. So now I'm going to get into a time machine, Ron, and we're going to go back to 2016. So it is November 8th. Donald J. Trump has just been named the next president of the United States, can you tell us a little bit about that day from your perspective?
0: Absolutely. That's a day I remember well. Uh, one of those days I'll probably remember for the rest of my career. Uh, came into work that day. Uh, the um, election results had just been announced. They'd gone quite public. By early morning, we already had a strong sense that there was a buzz about the school that was different. There was a sort of a frantic energy in the school. Um by mid-morning, we gotten word that on social media, there had already been some talk about a student protest at our school, that our students were going to walk out of classrooms in protest of the election. They were not happy with the results. A little while later, I started getting wind that um, there were some other students in the school who were not happy about the idea of a protest, and they were supportive of the election results. As the day went on and we uh, as an administrative team started figuring out, okay, what, what is our response going to be? I started getting phone calls from teachers. They had gotten wind and they said, what do I do if students walk out of my class? And also from parents in the community who were not happy about the idea of a walkout either. Um, so we inform teachers that uh, they are to keep on teaching, and if students were to walk out of their class, they're not to try to stop anyone or get in the way, confront anyone. Um, but if they could, take a note of who those, those folks were, and that the administrative team would be out and about um, monitoring that. Our intent on that day, because we didn't know what it was going to look like, was to go out, make sure everyone was safe, and make sure that those students who were still in class learning weren't being disrupted. So that was our intent. Um, Sure enough, by the end of the day, Uh, We had a walkout. I want to say it was right toward the beginning of period six right at the end of the day Uh, It was about 35 or 40 students had walked out of the their classes And then they kind of just naturally converged upon the flagpole which sits in the front of our school Some of them had some signs and and they were quite upset So I was out there our administrative team was out there. They did a little bit of walking around, but um, I, I went up to them and just said Hey, you guys, I understand what you're doing. Uh, I'm just here to make sure you're safe. I'm also here to make sure the rest of the learning environment doesn't get disrupted. They were super respectful of that. And so we kind of monitored. Um, Shortly thereafter, we had some parents from the community show up and kind of um, standing right near me and next to me, really kind of demanding to know what I was going to do about this uh, walkout for the kids. Um, And I simply responded uh, to the best of my ability at that moment that what I'm gonna do right now is make sure that everybody's safe and then we'll follow up appropriately as as we do as administrators.
1: Ron, did you have a plan in your head at that point?
0: No, the plan was (laughs) let's not let this whole thing go sideways. I really just did not want the cork to fly off of this thing. I did not know what the intent was. Again, the students, thankfully, were super respectful of everything I asked them to do. Uh, told them they couldn't go through hallways, anything like that. They were super respectful of that. And I kind of just stood back and watched, along with a few parents, as I mentioned, and our, and our other administrators. And then uh, they kind of just stayed there around the flagpole for a bit, and we, the, the clock ticked down toward the end of the day, the final bell rings, and everybody leaves campus. Uh, but now I'm still left with the question of, so what now? Uh, We had 40 kids walk out of class on any normal day. If you walk out of class, that's skipping a class and um, you would receive at that time. The standard response was a was a Friday school, essentially a detention after school on Friday. You'd go into the library, sit quietly, work on some homework, um, and then you'd you'd head home after about 90 minutes. So that coming Friday. And and so we decided that's what we were going to do. But that coming Friday was uh, Veterans Day. So it bought us a little bit of time. We didn't have school, so it wasn't going to happen until the following Friday. And what I decided we'd do is we'd run two separate Friday schools, a Friday school in the library as normal for all those kids with whatever other various infractions that landed them in Friday school, and that I would personally conduct the Friday school for the 35 to 40 students who had the walkout. So I took them to a separate location. Uh, They all came in. They were... They all understood, and the kind of the way we presented it was: we we respect your right to to not be happy with a with a public decision, um, but you also have to understand you're not allowed to just walk out of classes. And this is the standard response: and we'll be done in ninety minutes. We'll be finished with this whole thing. Um, my intent was to kind of turn it into a, uh, a learning moment. So uh, I did make the mistake as an English teacher. I thought, well, first thing we'll do, entry task, we're going to do a quick write. Uh, they'll come in and, and write about their experience. They were they were not too interested in coming in to write me a little mini essay um, on a Friday afternoon after school. So uh, I... I Diverted from that plan right away and I I pulled them over to the side and we set up about 40 chairs in a in a big circle We like to try to do a lot of circle talks and circle time Um, And so we all sat in a circle these were kids some of them knew each other But many of them did not and what happened was an Absolutely magical moment in terms of uh, being an educator and working with young people those kids showed uh, pure vulnerability in that moment among their peers, which is not something teenagers usually do. And they spoke directly from their hearts about the fear that they had associated with those election results. And we had students talking about their undocumented family members and being worried if they were gonna be able to go home that day and see their mother or father or uncle or aunt, um, or if they were gonna be sent home are sent out of the country. And um, others shared talk about they're already hearing people tell them, um, go back to where you came from, right? Um, You don't belong here. And these are kids who've lived here their their whole lives. Um, And so they really shared some heartfelt moments about the fear that they associated. So they were not upset just to be upset teenagers by any means. They really took this to heart and they thought about their families and their friends and their community and that mattered to them. And on that day, we were able to give them a platform to to find their voice and use their voice. And it kind of launched into a couple of really um, uh, neat events that continued through the rest of the year. We had several of those students, particularly our Latinx students um, who wanted to really find a way to stand up for social justice issues and we were able to introduce them to our leap club at that time and they got involved in the LEAP Club later that year as part of the LEAP uh, project. They always get an opportunity to go down to Olympia, um, get onto the legislative floor with our local uh, representatives and really speak as young people about issues that mattered to them. And um, they found a voice and they found legs to stand on and really got themselves involved and found a, maybe a, a new passion for themselves in terms of their future endeavors. Um, we had one student that from that day forward, uh, he, he announced in that day, on that circle talk that he wanted to be the president. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow up to be the president someday. And um, to this day, he is now a student at, at Central, and he's studying political science, and he still has aspirations to uh, be the president of the United States. And that kind of came from that day. Um, so it was, um, it was a scary moment that turned into, because of the unknown, and turned into a really magical moment in terms of youth finding uh, legs to stand on and a way to use their voice.
2: Wow, Ron, Eric Bowles here. I just want to say, first of all, and bowled over, I feel like inside of that story you told, we got an absolute masterclass on leadership. I want to expound on that just a bit and then ask another question. Um, Inside of every crisis, and there's no question that as a school administrator, Uh, You faced a crisis in 2016. Uh, You were able to turn that crisis into an unexpected opportunity. And then you've talked a little bit about how you really capitalized on that opportunity, kind of built those concepts around equity and elevating student voice, uh, brick at a time in those next two years. I also understand that uh, you started something uh, based on a project that you saw in the Seattle Times around equity. Can you uh, expound on that a bit? Sure. Sure.
0: Um, uh, so this a couple years later, um, we had um, now an equity team in in building of staff that were really growing and learning, and our initial intent was for us to be learners so that we could help to lead this work and and uh, help spread it throughout our school community. And one of the projects we took on as learners was studying the Under Our Skin Project from the Seattle Times, which was a series of interviews from folks uh, who are residents in various uh, professions, uh, but all lived in Seattle, and they were just given prompts, um, open-ended prompts to talk about uh, race-related issues, um, equity related issues and we learned a ton from that and in one of those meetings, um, one of our staff members or maybe several said, we should do the same thing with our kids and give them the chance to kind of just field some prompts and see where they're at with this conversation. And so from that, we have an annual event that's an annual career day, we usually do it on that uh, half day before Thanksgiving break. And we decided it's a day where kids sign up to go visit various classrooms around campus and check in on various careers that they're interested in and learn from professionals from the community who come and be guest speakers. Um, And we created one of those stations to be a station that we, we thought it was a pretty fun little acronym. We called it STARS. And it was Students Talking About Race Safely. And we just threw it out there as an open invite. And we had a number of kids sign up to come to that session, three separate sessions in a row. And we tried to replicate the um, or duplicate the um, project from Seattle Times. We put them all in a, a room, private room. We had a camera. We hit record on the camera. We gave them a series of prompts. They could choose whichever one they wanted to talk about. And we said, we're going to leave the room and then just give us a wave through the door window whenever you're done and we'll come back. And we, so we let them speak. And from that project, we uh, came back to look at the, the raw footage and we just found some gems. And what surprised us and pleased us most was um, they were not from the kids who are typically the most vocal around campus. They were kids who were quietly navigating their way through school and activities, um, but they spoke out in ways that showed us we already have social justice uh, warriors right here in our building that we don't know about. And so, Uh, As an equity team, we said, well, let's follow up on that. Let's ask them if they want to do it again and come back and talk more. And so we did, and we reached out to those kids who participated. They came back. They decided we should form a club. We'll call the club Stars, and then they being more clever than us, said it could stand for students talking about race uh, safely, but it can also stand for student student teacher anti-racism society. We thought that's pretty clever. Um, So to this day, the Stars Club still meets regularly. They have a couple of teacher advisors. Uh, They get together to talk about uh, race, social justice, equity issues. Um, They put together their own presentation that they were taking around to our other clubs on campus and we invited them to come give that presentation to our staff at a staff meeting. They did, they hit a grand slam in front of our staff and they trained us on that day in, in terms of our equity work. Um, They even led us into affinity groups where we separated and had some really interesting, um, deep conversations, all led by students, and um, that became incredibly powerful as well. Later, when the school board asked, hey, do you have any student groups who'd like to come and talk to the school board about things that they're doing? sure do uh how about the stars club and so they they went and did a presentation for our school board as well so um super proud of those kids that's a club we're trying to continue to grow and then trying to um take that work into all of our other clubs as
1: well so so your students actually did pd for your staff
0: absolutely and <laughs> that's, that's um that's awesome that, I wish that were a normal occurrence for us and I'd like to build toward that, but that was something new for us um, and particularly new with the idea of affinity groups as well. But they just hit a grand slam and, you know, um, staff are, of course, you know, we're all here for kids. So when we announced that kids are going to be leading us today, our staff was all was all in and all attentive. And it was it was um, quite magical as well.
1: So, Ron, if we could go back, um, take a picture, a freeze frame before 2016, and then move us all the way up to now, what does that difference look like? And I, I've heard you speak about this before. You, you are emotionally vested in this thing. So what does that look like for you?
0: Well, I think that evolution in my mind has come a really long way, and especially in, this, in the work with equity and anti-racism and social justice. And from that first... Um, uh, iteration of our equity team, which was really just six or seven adults who wanted to be in a book study. Um, We have, you know, evolved now to uh, we're at about twenty five members. Every different um, position or role on campus is represented in our equity team. Um, Our equity team has led uh, multiple trainings for other staff, um, full length podcast studies with our whole staff. Again, that's every position. and uh, we are now at, at a place where we're feeling we've got enough momentum and enough. Uh, we've reached that tipping point where um, we are now inviting um, students and family members to join in in the work in true partnership and help let them help us guide uh, our community work and um, create that community that we're all striving for here. And that's a community where. Everyone really does feel represented. Everyone feels empowered. Everyone feels celebrated, um, and we're trying to, um, you know, eliminate any any feeling of marginalization and really pull pull our whole community into the fold. So we're really excited about that. We also don't know what that's going to look like when we we don't know what kind of feedback we'll get from parents, but we're we're eager to expand the work, and we know that um, it's just. Uh, That that anxiety is okay, and we're going to work our way through it just like we've done over the last several years.
2: Hey, Ron, and I want to follow up on uh, Eric's last question he asked, which I think was absolutely brilliant, by the way. Um, So, again, kind of thinking that uh, taking that theme from 2016 to 2020, you've had four years of this work. I I know you're very modest from our interactions in the past around, you know, you're 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 quick to state. uh, Gosh, my school's not there. I'm not an expert. We're on this journey. And I think all good leaders would say it exactly the way uh, you say that. But you are on the journey. You're pretty far down the pike on that journey. What advice would you give to an administrator who may be uh, as committed as you were, as it turns out, in 2016, wanting to do that work today with the four years of experience that you have under your belt?
0: Yes, I'll I'll reiterate that. We're still working on it. I'm proud. I'm really proud of what our team has done, but we we are still working on it just like everybody else. And I think my advice would be um, to, to get into it and you start with those who are ready to run first and you develop a pace together, you develop that small group really um, for us, that's the easiest place to start is probably with staff. Uh, We really do have to get a staff momentum going so that uh, all of us can champion this work together. And that took us a while and we were really respectful of the content in terms of we we need to learn first. We need to learn uh, some history. We need to learn how uh, education has been complicit in a lot of the inequitable outcomes in our in our country. Um, we have to learn as educators what role we've already played. And then we have to build that momentum. And as we did, then um, it really starts to set the tone for that school culture that says this is what we're about and and that's when we can really start championing uh, more student voice more family voice Um, but knowing that you know when you're talking about undoing systems that have been around for a while it's going to get messy we're stirring it up a little bit and and it's going to get a little messy and everyone's got to be okay with that it's uh to be expected and if it doesn't happen then Maybe, maybe we're not stirring up the, in the right way, right? So getting folks comfortable with that is really important as well.
1: So, Ron, I'm going to back up to a little bit different context. Um, how do you think that student voice can play a role in school improvement efforts? Yeah.
0: Well, I, I think this is really important and, again, something we, we're committed to and we want to do better. But it's important for a lot of reasons. Number one, the students, they are our constituents. That's who we're serving, our students and families. So we, we ought to be including them in the conversation, in the work. Um, second, in terms of a you know, sense of belonging and a sense of relationship and a sense of community, uh, we've got to involve all of our you know, all the key players in the work. Um, so in order to build community and have folks feel like they belong, you need to be heard. Um, that's, that's in any relationship, whether that's one-on-one or a large group. Uh, I need someone who's going to listen to me um, to know that I can build trust and community and that we're on the same page. I think the, the added benefit at the high school level is these kids, um, they really are at that stage in life where they are finding their voice and um, and finding ways to express themselves and choosing sort of some stances on, on how they feel about these issues. They're paying attention to the world around them and they've, um, they're developing their thoughts, so we gotta give them a platform to help them do that.
1: I'm gonna ask you to do something now that m- it might be challenging and it might be impossible, Ron, but if you were gonna go to the one thing and think about uh, Billy Crystal City Slickers, the one thing, So if you're going to say, hey, here's the one secret to successfully elevating student voice, what would that one thing be?
0: All right. I'm going to try to make it be one thing, but I don't know. I don't know if that's possible, right? So the thought is there are already lots and lots of students who speak up in high school. And that's kind of who they are and where they've been. The one thing for me would be finding all those other voices. Again, the students who are quietly going through the process of high school and becoming young adults. It's finding ways to reach out to them and hear from them and bring their voices to the center so that they know uh, their voice matters just as much as anybody else's voice. Um, there, There always has been a sort of, you know, little golden circle of a community in a high school and, you know, whether they're called the popular crowd or whatever it is, um, but that's just such a small representation of our community. And there are so many more students that we need to hear from and that we can learn from. So it would be reaching out to those that we, that we don't hear from uh,
2: regularly. Well, Ron, I think that was really well said. What does it look like when we elevate that voice for each student who absolutely fits kind of outside of that circle? Just tying back to something else you said earlier on was the student who is impassioned at the protest you have the essentially restorative circle in the, uh, and you get all this great feedback. That student then goes on to college. You didn't say it, but my guess is he may have been a first generation to college student. Uh, and he believes that he can be the president of the United States. That is, I think, exactly what happens when we elevate the story for each of our students, where otherwise those voices might be marginalized. And I would just like to thank you for sharing these incredible leadership lessons. I feel like we not only learned about student voice, but we got a masterclass in, in how to lead through a difficult time.
1: Ron, before we go, I've got just one quick question just to say, I'm a, I'm a teacher and I'm listening to this. I've got pom-poms out, I'm hearing what you're saying. I think it's right. I might not have a culture that's maybe accepting these same things that you're advocating. What would you say that, how do I start? What would be some good steps that would be positive and healthy steps for me as an educator?
0: Oh the the two things that come to mind is teachers can do this in their own classroom Um, and teachers, you know, the best teachers already do this. They're developing relationships with their kids. They're carving out time um, aside from instruction to really hear from student voice and really not um, tell them what to think or lead them. Toward a conversation, but really ask what things matter to you right now. What are you thinking about right now? What are you bringing to this classroom today? And then give them time to expand on that, and give each other time to listen to one another. But another thing that can can happen from the teacher level, um, which which I think is critically important, is if if you're in a school community that doesn't yet have, for example, an equity team, you can start one right there. Um, you and your Teacher partner down the hall can be the first two and, um, Folks will pay attention to that. Folks will be interested in that. Others will come out that you didn't know were interested in the work. And before you know it, you will have a full-fledged equity team that now is the central driver in your school. It's no longer a a book club on the side. It's the central driver. It becomes the leadership team. It influences the PD for the whole school um, and influences the community. So, I mean, it starts just like that. It really does start at that level.
1: Ron, you knocked it out of the park! Way to go, Hartley! Thank you. Oh, I can't
0: remember a word I said, but you know, thank you. (laughs) Thank you both for really guiding me through the whole thing, all three of you, really.
1: You've given us a ton to think about. Those are some uh, some great marching orders, and I think that they're they are, they are uh, needed. I think in in our school. So thanks so much for being with us. That's uh, Ron Hartley from Franklin Pierce High School. Thanks again,
2: Ron. We'd like to thank you for listening to Outliers in Education, and check back soon for more episodes from CEE, the Center for Educational Effectiveness. <laughs>
0: You'd like to find out how to gather the data you need to help drive positive change in your school or district? Take a moment to visit CEE, the Center for Educational Effectiveness, at effectiveness.org. Better data, better decisions, better schools. effectiveness.org